This is a sad day. This is our last day in the life of David. This is my last sermon. I'm go- well, I shouldn't say that because Robin's coming to preach in a, in, uh, in a couple weeks and she's going to take another look at a passage I had to skip over quickly due to the way I framed it. So there's one more coming. But this is my last opportunity to share with you about the life of David. This is number 26 in our series. Full half a year in the life of David. So I hope you're not Davided out. But if you are, this should come as a relief because it's the last one. But before we get there, I wanted to share with you about one of my uh, heroes, Sigurd Olsen. Does anyone know who Sigurd Olsen is? Dave, what's that? An author. An author. (laughs) Derek for the win. (laughs) Dave, I thought of you when I brought this guy up. I I think you'd resonate with him. He, uh, he was born in uh, Minnesota, and he, spent, he was a naturalist. He spent his life trying to preserve the Boundary Waters Association in the States, Quetico in Canada, that whole canoeing area. And he wrote uh, The Singing Wilderness, Runes of the North, Time and Place, Listening Point. These are some of my treasures. I love these books. In fact, when we go camping, we've been known to bring them and read them like devotionals. Like, let's, what, what does Sigurd have to say today? Well, let's hope. There's just, he, he writes with this eye for wilderness and nature that's just so powerful and moving. Um, I've always appreciated him, so I brought in my collection of Sigurd books. I left some at home, but those are, those are his main ones. He was, uh, he, he was born in 1899, and he died in 82. So he was from the old school conservation. So when you, see, when you read some of his tips about how to keep the wilderness pristine, doesn't quite come up to our standards today. My favorite advice is when he says, when you leave a campsite, make sure to keep it nice and clean. Collect all the tin cans from all your food, put them in a bag, and sink them in the middle of the lake. So that way, they, they won't dirty the campsite. And the but that... <laughs> We've matured a little bit in our understanding since then. But uh, he had this cabin out in the wilderness. Actually, I have a picture of him. This is him. This is the man himself up in uh, uh, Eli, uh, Minnesota and north. And he had this cabin that he describes how he made it in the singing wilderness. There's the cabin with his typewriter and that. And and, uh, I find this part so moving. In, uh, on January 13th of 1982, he passed away of a heart attack uh, on a snowshoeing trip. He just decided to go out snowshoeing, and I thought that's a fine, way to, a fine way to go. But he went out snowshoeing, and he passed away. And when they came back, and they, they saw where he left from, this, was, this is the picture of what was on his typewriter. A new adventure is coming up, and I'm sure it'll be a good one. Isn't that amazing? He typed that. And then went off on his blind associate. If he was to write that, a new adventure is coming up, and I'm sure it'll be a good one in the midpoint of his career, it would be a throwaway line. It wouldn't be that important. It wouldn't hold that resonance, right? It, it would be fine, because he's a great author. But the fact that that was his final words to anyone just holds this, this power. A new adventure is coming up. I'm sure it'll be a good one. We're going to read David's final words today. And I hope you receive them with that sort of, this is the last thing he had to say. He uh, was, w- w- had aged to a ripe old age. He had uh, ruled over Israel uh, for 40 years. There had been palace intrigue. His health was failing. 
He uh, had an, continually people tried to take the throne from him. He finally set up Solomon on the throne. And as he's dying, he has his son Solomon with him, Bathsheba's daughter, Bathsheba's son. Has Solomon with him and looks at him and says, Solomon, this is what I want you to know. So if you think of the entire life of David, everything he's been through, what would he pass on? What would you pass on to your, to your children if you have children at the end of your life? If you lived a life of date like David, what, what would you want to be passed on before you passed on? And so that's what we get today. And then we're going to consider how on earth he was a man after God's own heart. He said four things. The first is this. When David's time to die drew near, he charged his son Solomon, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. It's a good way of putting it, eh? I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Until Jesus, of course. Be strong. Be courageous. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses, so that you, Solomon, may prosper in all that you do, wherever you turn, then the Lord will establish his word that he spoke concerning me. If your heirs take heed to, take heed to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness, with all of their heart and with all of their soul, there shall not fail you a successor on the throne of Israel. Let's just leave that there. That's pretty good advice. I mean, there's, I can't think of a much better way for a godly person in the Old Testament to exit this world than to look at your son in the eye and say, listen, follow God. That's what's important. In fact, it sounds like he's, I love that he says, be strong and courageous. Does, do those words ring a bell? Does anyone remember them from anywhere in scripture? Joshua. Joshua, yeah. This is so amazing. When Mo Moses, just before Israel went into the promised land, Moses climbed up on a mountain and died. And Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land where he met a representative of the Lord who said, be strong and courageous. Well, why would Joshua need to hear that? Because Moses was gone. And on now Joshua was the man. Joshua had to step up and fill the shoes of Moses. So God appeared to him and said, be strong and be very courageous. There's a lot that's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainties. You don't know what next day is going to bring. But be strong and very courageous. Even though Moses is gone, even though your security is gone, God is with you. And so David echoed those words to his kid. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Your security, your rock, your king, David, is about to go. And it'll be unsettling, but here's what you need to do. Be strong and very courageous. Because if you keep, and then there's this big pile, if you keep God's statutes, commandments, and ordinances, and testimonies, if you obey all these things, if you follow God, He's made me a promise that you and your kids will remain on the throne. Only follow God. This advice is still good today, by the way. Because there are times when we lo lose those who are our strength. Those people around us who are strong for us. And the world can seem unknown for the first time. And you have to be strong and courageous and trust that even though some people in our lives may leave us, God never does. He's with us. 
Be strong and courageous and be sure to follow all the ways of the Lord. Keep God's Word. We have the Spirit of God Himself, the Spirit of the Author Himself of God's Word living inside of us, teaching us what this Word is. It's really good advice for us. And so, when I was preparing to to preach this message, and I was reading carefully through David's last words, I thought, this is good. I can preach this. Be strong and courageous, Solomon. Keep the good faith. Keep the, keep the good fight. Um, do what you need to do. Be a man. All is well. Amen. Go our separate ways. But the problem is David didn't stop talking. If he would have stopped there, it would have been much easier to preach. But he didn't stop talking. Because it's David. And the next thing he says is remember Joab. Joab wasn't the nicest character in the David story. I have to remind you of just a few parts of his life so we can understand what David's saying here. Joab was a military man and he did what was expedient. And if it meant killing someone, he would kill someone. He didn't really care if David said this person is supposed to stay alive. If it didn't seem good to Job, that person didn't stay alive. Back in time when there was a civil war and Saul had died and, and Saul's um, uh, Ishbosheth there and Abner were fighting uh, David and his troops, David said, Listen, um, it's over. The war's done. I grant you immunity. Abner, go and be at peace. And Joab hunted him down and killed him because he figured he's too much of a risk to keep alive. Same with Amasa during another rebellion. Even though David said, listen, you're going to live. It's okay. I, I understand that we were on the opposite sides, but we're making peace now. Joab went and took him down. So after David told Samuel or told Solomon to keep the words of the Lord, this is what he said next. Remember, moreover, you know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me. How he dealt with two of the commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner son of Ner and Amasa son of Jether, whom he murdered, retaliating in peacetime for blood that was shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on his sandals on his feet. And this is really cool. This is this is a lie. Just imagine David on his deathbed speaking these words of Solomon. Act according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Chilling. No? It's chilling. You have to wonder why David didn't take care of things himself. Why David didn't handle this when he could have. But of course, that seems to be David's life all the way through. He didn't go to war with his men, and we know what happened then. He didn't deal with Amnon. He didn't deal with bringing Absalom back from Geshur. He didn't stop to congratulate his supporters at the defeat of Absalom. He didn't appoint a successor to the throne until he was forced. David seemed to have this trend in his life. If you were here, by the way, for the last few months, you'd get all those references. And if you weren't, you'd have to read 2 Samuel to, to get them. David had this tendency to just let things slide and not deal with them. And here again, on his deathbed, he knows he should have done something with Joab, but he doesn't. So he puts it off on his son. The third thing of four things that he says to his son Solomon is an encouraging thing. Deal loyally, however, with the sons of Barzillai, 
the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from your brother Absalom. I don't know if you remember this message, but when David was leaving Jerusalem because his son had raised up this rebellion against him, he went all the way away to, uh, to gather his troops and this guy named Barzilli. That's how I remember it because it's such an odd name. Uh, I think of Godzilla, but it's Barzilli. When this, this person named Barzilli meets him in the wilderness and supplies him with all the food and everything he needs to survive. And so on his deathbeds, David's remembering this and says to him, deal loyally with him. That means show chesed to him. Show, be faithful to him. Show him love. Why? Because he loved us in return. Be faithful to him. Why? Because he was faithful to us. Um, give as has been given unto you. Make sure you care for him because he was good to us. And that is a good character trait. It's in kind of an easy character trait, but it's a good character trait. When people are good to you, it's easy to be good to them in return, right? When someone's really kind to you, it's easy to feel warm and fuzzy and bless them in return because it's just the way it goes. It's human nature. And this is what David's showing here. I'm thankful that God even goes further. God goes further than this because he shows his faithfulness to us even when we're not faithful to him. Even when we are wandering, even we are, when we are, are, um, are failing God. When people fail David, he's like, Solomon, figure out how to bring their gray hair down to the grave. When we fail God, God comes after us. It's a completely different thing. In Romans 5, 6, and 7, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, it's rare for anyone to die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a really good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still running away from God, God gave himself for us. When we, and I say we collectively as human beings, were putting Jesus on the cross, he was saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God shows love and faithfulness to us, even when we are not faithful to him. That's the big difference between God and David. But David was at least partway there. Make sure to care for Barzilli because he was good to us. Now, before we go to the next one, this is the last thing David said. This is his, I'm about to go on an adventure and I'm sure it'll be a good one line. This is David's final words before he gives up the ghost. This is it. Do you remember the guy named Shimei? Anyone? Yeah, some of you. Ah, awesome. Okay, one person. Shimei was this spiteful man. And when David was driven out of his kingdom by his son Absalom, who was rebelling against him, Shimei walked alongside of him and threw rocks at him. Insult to injury. Threw dust at his troops and said, you got what you deserved. You killed Saul, you took his throne, and that's all come back on your head now. God cursed you. And he cursed and cursed and danced and threw rocks. And, and uh, <laughs> Abishai, at David's side there, goes, let me take his head off, please. And David says, no, he might be right. 
David had this magnanimous streak, right? Sometimes he could be a big soul. Sometimes he could take the upper road. And so he lets it go. Later on, when David comes back to his kingdom victorious and he gets his kingdom back, of course, Shimei, now with egg on his face, runs to David, falls down before him and says, David, I put my money on the wrong horse, essentially. Um, you were the uh, Please forgive me for what I've said, all that stuff about the cursing. I didn't really mean it. I mean, I, uh, just overlook that, right? And Abishai goes, let me take his head off. And David said, no, no, no one's losing their head today. He's going to live. And when I preached that message here, I I was struck by how magnanimous David was, by how generous he was, that even that when when he was cursed by this little weasel man, Shimei, he was able to say, you know what? Maybe there's some truth in what he's saying. And when Shimei came back and apologized and fell before him, David said, okay, let him live. Listen, he was wrong. And it showed us something of the character of David. Now here's the last thing he says to his son Solomon. There is also with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Berim, who cursed me with a terrible curse. On that day I went to Mahanim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death with the sword. I will not put you to death with the sword. Therefore, Solomon, don't hold him guiltless. You're a wise man. You know what you ought to do to him. You must bring his gray head down with blood to the grave. And David breathed his last word of the Lord. Doesn't that strike you as David was a hero? David had this opportunity to be magnanimous, to be gracious, to to demonstrate the faithful love of God, even when people were not faithful to him. But what's he do on his deathbed? He's like, one one more thing, Solomon. Shimei. I I told God I wouldn't kill him. But you got to figure out a way to do it. Because I really wanted to die. And then he's like... Like I said, it would have been much easier if he had stopped talking after he said, be strong and courageous and follow all the ways of the Lord and all will be well with you. But he didn't. He kept talking. And this is what we learned about David. I don't know about you, but I knew David wasn't a shining example of godliness through his whole life. I knew about Bathsheba. I knew about the census he took. I knew about Uriah. I knew about his sins. But this last half a year journeying through his life with you, through these messages, I've realized that At almost every stage of his life, he was capable of following God with reckless abandon and being a scoundrel at the same time. At almost every point of his life. When I learned David's story when I was young, he was the hero that killed Goliath. But now looking back later, I realize that even in that, well, he wanted to kill Goliath but he also was really interested in the king's daughter. And he also, you know, he heard that there was tax-exempt status for anyone who, and, and on and on and on. At every stage of his life, he had epic moments of heroism, moments of huge, huge failure. There were times when he would obey with reckless abandon. And there were times when he was just fickle, like on his deathbed. You have better things to say to your son Solomon, like, I love you, be a good son and a good king and serve God. Instead, he says, make sure to kill that dude. 
that I didn't have the chance to kill because I couldn't squeak out of my promise to God. <clears throat> David died. I don't know why I think people die like that. Anyways. <laughs> so here's the last bit of the David story. I wanted to reflect on his whole life. Don't worry, I'm not repeating the whole life. And just ask, when you hear about David, you hear that expression from scripture that said he was a man after God's own heart. You remember that phrase? A man after God's own heart. And if you were in the same church as me, you got to wonder how on earth would David be described as a man after God's own heart. Yet that's what it says in scripture, and it says it twice. I'm going to read you the passages. 1 Samuel 13. 13 to 14. This is Samuel, the prophet talking to Saul. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom's not going to continue because the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That's the key. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Because you have not obeyed the Lord, he sought out someone after his own heart. The other passage we have in Scripture that talks about this is actually from the New Testament. It was when Paul was preaching in Acts 13, 21 to 22. He's kind of giving the people the history of the Jewish people. And Paul says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. When he had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be... A man after my heart who will carry out my wishes. Paul interprets it a little bit. <coughs> who will carry out my wishes? Unlike Saul, who did not keep what the Lord commanded him. Well, the first thing I realized when I took some time to think this through a little more closely is when we hear a man after God's own heart, I don't know about you, but I falsely immediately think, oh, it was David's heart we're talking about. But it's not David's heart we're talking about. It's God's heart we're talking about. To be a man or a woman after God's own heart is not a reflection of your heart. It's a reflection of the heart you're seeking. David was seeking God's own heart here because his heart was fickle. He waffled. He was up and down. What does Jeremiah tell us? The heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? We have moments of shining brilliance like David and moments of epic failure like David. If you've been a human for any length of time, you'll understand that. We're not disqualified from being a man or a woman after God's own heart because our heart waffles from time to time. It's God's heart that we're after. And I think the secret in all of this is in the actual doing of it, not the thinking of it. And what I mean by that is this. Have you ever had really good intentions to do something, like invite people over for dinner? And you think, oh, yeah, we got to get together. And then a month later, oh, yeah, when are we getting together? And then a year later, yeah, we got to get together. you got to come over. You're nodding because we've all done this. I've done this. You have all these good intentions in your heart to have someone over to your place to get to know them a little bit better, but life just gets busy and you never make it a priority, and so then you move on to the next thing. And, and uh, because we're talking about David's last words, if you were to pass away and someone was to eulogize you at your funeral, they probably wouldn't say, oh, that's Stephen. He really had good intentions. He really wanted to be hospitable. 
he, uh, yeah, he's just such an awesome person. He always wished he could be the t sort of person that would invite people over for dinner. It's not what you say. Well, you say something nice because he just passed away, but that's not what you say. You, you, when people reflect on your life, they don't reflect on your intentions. They reflect on your actions because what you do reveals your heart. And this is where David was a man after God's own heart. His heart was up and down and all over the place, but when push come to shove, he obeyed God. And when he failed God and God reminded him, he said, okay, you're right, and turned and obeyed God. And that's why even though his heart was fickle, remember Joab, deal with him. Remember Shimei, you better take care of him or so help me, I will haunt you from the grave. No, he didn't say that. His heart was fickle and up and down, but what else did he tell Solomon? Obey God. Obey his statutes, his commandments, his, his everything. Follow God. Be David was a man after God's own heart, not because his heart was right, because his heart was all over the place, but because when push came to shove, he obeyed God. And that should give you and I hope. I, I, don't, I, I hope none of us have sinned as epically as David did in his life. If so, um, we need to have another plan to protect meeting and sort it out. But we all fail God. We all fall short of his grace. We all fall short of his perfection and his standards. It reminds me of the life of Johnny Cash. You know, when I think of David, I think he's like Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash had great intentions, but his heart was a little fickle. And he would go to a Billy Graham crusade in the 70s, and he would stand up on the stage, and he would sing the gospel with Billy Graham. They'd be the one-two punch, Johnny and Billy. And then a couple months later, he would be on amphetamines out of his mind, not knowing what to do next. And then the next time he had the opportunity, he was serving God again. And then he would fail. And then he would come back and serve God again. It seemed to be, if you've ever read the biography of Johnny Cash, he's one of my favorite musicians, you'll see that pattern in his life. And it's the same as David. He, he obeyed God, but then his heart just got fickle and weak. And he would fail. And God would say, David, and David would snap back and do what God had asked him to do. So there's hope for us, is what I'm saying. There is hope for us. No matter of where you think you are in your spiritual journey or in your life, you can be a woman or a man after God's own heart. It doesn't matter how many times you fail, how many times you don't think you're good enough, how many times your heart has been fickle and let you down. What matters is how you obey, how you return to God, like David continually did. So how do you anticipate you'll be eulogized one day? This is a little morbid, but I'm, I'm on good biblical ground here. The preacher, to the, uh, the, the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes said it's better to go to a, a funeral home than to a party. Because uh, anyone's, everyone's going to end in the funeral home anyway, so you might as well pay attention to it. That's in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 to 3. So how would you like to be eulogized? No one's going to say, boy, that person really wished he could serve God, but he never quite got around to it. They're going to reflect on what you did. What do your actions say about you? What does your life say about you? your intentions, your true intentions. A new adventure is coming up, and I'm sure it will be a good one. 
I want to, in, I hope this life of David has inspired you to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. To keep continually following after him. To be strong and courageous even though you're not sure if you're going to be able to do it. And just start doing it. To follow God and let your heart follow your actions. To, um, actually I have one, to live so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. Invite the band back. We're going to close with this is amazing grace. But let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the life of David. Thank you that he kept coming back to you no matter how many times he's failed. And I pray that you would grant us all that same resolve that no matter how many times we feel like we failed you, Lord, don't let us give up. Don't quit on us, but show that grace that keeps, is just so amazing. You keep extending it to us even when we fail you. Keep drawing us back to you and make, this, make us the sort of people that constantly choose to return and obey you. Make us the sort of people that are fit to live the life of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. To, to, to show mercy and love to the people around us, whether they deserve it or not. Lord, help us to avoid some of the blatant fickleness of David and, and to really care for our enemies, care for even the people who, who, who don't care too much for us. Help us to grow in you. And may we start this adventure or continue this adventure as soon as we leave this building. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.